This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and and we just finished it and you can't have any. And today we are talking about the thing that we have just eaten all of, which is Japanese curry. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode was suggested by listener Vicky. Thank you, listener Vicky. And I'm just going to start right off by saying that the Japanese curry that I just ate here at your table was my second time ever oh, okay. eating Japanese curry. I believe the first time was also at your table. Oh, okay. Uh, so I have no memory lane. All right. Go right well, When was the first time? Uh, I don't know. You've cooked a lot of meals for me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I remember having... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I've got memory lane, so let's do it. Great. Uh, I know I've talked about this on the show before. When I was in sixth grade, my best friend was named Alex. His mom, uh, Kuniko, was from Japan, and uh, she would make curry for dinner, um, and I loved it. It was S&B Golden Curry from a box. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can totally picture the logo. Uh-huh. And I just thought it was like one of the best things I'd ever had and uh, like immediately went home and asked my mom like if she would make it. And she, you know, asked Kuniko, um, like, like, how do you make it? And she said, get S&B Golden Curry in a box. And my mom did and started making it. Oh, my gosh. So so this was like definitely like a formative food of my youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more recently, like I remember eating curry rice on ANA, like uh, flights to Japan, which mm-hmm. is like pretty much the best airplane food you can make. I have definitely had curry on a flight to or yeah. from Tokyo, like, of which of which I have taken two round trips. Yeah. And like, I mean, like, could could you come up with anything better to be served as airline no. food? Like it's, uh, you know, it reheats perfectly. It's well spiced. So it doesn't, you know, suffer from like, you can't taste anything at 36,000 feet. Uh, it's just perfect. You know, it occurs to me, you know, for a few months now, Matthew, everyone has been talking about the Japanese show Old Enough. Yes, I've been watching it. Um, I've already seen a bunch of it, like in, in ori- original and Japanese, because it's an old it's, show. Yeah, it's like more than like 30 years running or something. Yeah. Anyway, the first episode that they had on Netflix or wherever it was, we started watching it. it, it the kid goes to the store to yes. get, uh-huh. right? To get, and he's, it's to make curry for his dad. It's a sweet curry. Yeah. So, yeah. 
is that, is that just like he for, he like starts to head home and forgets oh, God, the curry and precious. has to go back? I know it's so yes, great. yes. And <laughs> this, you see him like he has to walk like uh, like a kilometer to get to uh-huh. and f- like a kilometer to and a kilometer home from the supermarket, and it's like along a busy street with these like massive trucks, and the camera like zooms in, and you see him like as this little speck that slowly gets bigger and bigger next to this giant road. It's great. The the thing that I'm getting out of like rewatching the show and like watching a bunch of episodes in a row is that two-year-olds are so good at doing errands because they pretty much do what you tell them. And then by the time and they're four, four-year-olds are terrible at it. Oh my it. god. The kid <laughs> the kid who is like sent home from the, the orange tangerine oh, orchard yeah. to make juice. Yes. I was like, I'm gonna kill this kid. <laughs> that was so great. Oh my god. Yeah, because like a four-year-old be like, oh wow, a stick. I'm gonna play with this for the next six hours. Well, and then, but then the thing is, is like the mom can is like calling him yes. on the phone. Yes. And he just like hangs up on her and goes back to playing with his stuff. Anyway. Yeah, no, no. It's just like I feel like he, the way he he answers the phone is, is like the way like I I'm like yeah yeah I'm getting to it like I'm about to do it I was just getting started on that <laughs> bye. <laughs> okay, all okay. right. And then my other memory lane is, and we'll we'll probably talk about this more on uh, on the episode is um, there the the most popular curry chain in Japan is called uh, Kokoichibanya or uh, just Kokoichi. It's become like a favorite place for for my family and and like a favorite fast food chain for a lot of people in in Japan. But uh, it was it was uh, teenager of the show December's pick for lunch on their birthday the last time we were in Japan. Delightful. Well, so okay, tell me about this. The first time I ever heard the two words Japanese and curry next to each other, I was like, "How does this happen?" Yeah. So, so, so uh, tell me a story, Matthew. It's, it's a it's a circuitous route, and it's a truly international dish. And a lot of the history that I'm going to share here comes from a great article in uh, the Japan Times, which we'll link to um, by Makiko Ito, who's uh, she runs the Just Bento blog and and pub- and has published several Just Bento cookbooks. Okay, um, very very successful uh, cookbook series. Uh, but writes a column for the Japan Times, which is the the biggest English language newspaper in Japan, and. Curry came to to Japan not directly from India, but from England, and uh-huh. that explains a lot about like how curry is prepared and served in Japan. Although Japan has put a lot of its own touches on it, especially in terms of food technology. Okay. So so basically, okay. Yeah. So so obviously, you know, the the spices we call curry made their way to to England through through th- from the colonial correct. era going back to like the beginning of the 19th century, like curry began to grow in popularity in England and of course was adapted to English tastes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, whereas, you know, curry in India is is a way of cooking and a, and a style of dish that has hundreds, if not thousands of different variations, you know, in terms of, of geography and ingredients. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not one dish, but when it got to England, it was kind of edited down to like a couple of dishes. Okay. Right. And so then it went to Japan. And then it went to Japan near the beginning of the Meiji era. So like the 1870s. Okay. Um, so like after after Japan was forcibly opened up for trade. Okay. Um, and so the, the British Navy and Merchant Marine brought curry and curry spices to Japan. And, you know, anywhere, anywhere curry and curry style dishes land 
it tends to be popular because it's really tasty, uh-huh. right? And because the ingredients you need are non-perishable. Yes. Um, yes. Like it's it's about you know you need you need uh, like some cooking medium uh, which which could be water and the a, a blend of spices and you can make curry. I love the the like game of telephone aspect yes. of this. You know, um, like. You know, even just the aftertaste in my mouth after this Japanese curry, you know, it, it, it you can, if I ate it with my eyes closed, I would be like, ah, oh, vaguely like an Indian curry, right. but what? not quite. Like, it's like slightly altered in translation or maybe a lot altered. Yeah. And of course, it's great with rice, which was already a staple of the Japanese diet. Okay. So from when curry first appeared in Japan in the in the 1870s or so, it was immediately like became like a well-known dish pretty much, but was considered kind of like an expensive or difficult to make international dish. Okay. Um, and that changed like through a series of innovations in like product, you know, technology and marketing. Okay. Um, to the point that where today, spoiler alert, curry is the most popular food in Japan. I mean, yeah, I, I think about you talking about Japanese sort of cafeteria food, yeah. basically, seems like a, a sea of curry and curry variations. Yeah. And like other other things with with like not too dissimilar brown sauces also and mm-hmm. white sauces sometimes. Mm-hmm. So the main invention that made Japanese curry really what it is, is instant curry roux. So okay. what the things that set Japanese curry apart are like, first of all, like rather than being like, you know, a, a profusion of different dishes, it's kind of just one dish like they, they, you know, it comes in different like spice levels and like, you know, different people like prefer like a lighter colored curry or like a thinner or thicker curry. But it's basically like heavily starch thickened, mm-hmm. um, not super spicy, very smooth textured. Mm-hmm. And the ingredients like typically it'll be some kind of meat like beef is probably the most popular, but it could be pork or chicken and like potatoes and carrots or some other simple root vegetables. I think of it of Japanese curry in a all my extremely uh, narrow experience as having a certain sheen to it, Absolutely. which must come from that cornstarch. Yeah, it's, it's uh, usually, I think, cornstarch or potato starch and flour, wheat flour. Okay. Um, and so instant curry root was a powder that was uh, introduced by House Foods in 1926, which is still one of the biggest makers of curry, of curry mixes. Wait, and, hold on. House yeah. Foods was based where? Uh, in Japan. Okay. So it contains salt. MSG, some kind of starch and spices all in one mix, and it can turn water, hot water into curry. Okay. So that was uh, started to make curry like affordable and approachable for home cooks in Japan. And then in 1956, S&B Foods introduced curry roux in bricks or blocks. Okay. And this is what most people use today and what I use to make the curry that we just ate. So did they look kind of like bouillon cubes? Yeah, I'll show you what it looks like. Not exactly. Okay. And I love what you wrote here on the agenda, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal and read and, and take your thunder here. Uh, you said, you know, that that making curry roux or selling curry roux in bricks or blocks doesn't seem like a big innovation compared to just like a powder. Right. But if you think of it as like the difference between like Tide Pods and a big old box of Tide yeah. powder that you got to scoop out, like the pods are way nicer to use. Yeah. Like with with blocks, like, you know, it's there's no mess like even possible. You don't really have to think about the proportions because there's like a recipe on the back of the box and it just tells you exactly how much water to use. We're going to open this and you can see what it looks like. Hold on. Is that just one? So this is, 
a block oh, that's that one. can be yeah, but you can you can break it into it breaks into four pieces if you need to make a smaller amount. Okay. So but this this like block here is is enough for like three dinner sized servings, I would say. God, that maybe four. Great. It smells great and it also smells like that like yeah. concentrated like food yeah. smell. And this is a thing like this is a this is a perfectly and highly engineered food product. Like if you look at the ingredient list, it is long. And uh, you know, so it's got all kinds of like emulsifiers and stabilizers and stuff mm. in it that gives it that like, you know, perfect smooth sheen. And this this is made by House Foods, like the the ah. company that originally marketed instant curry roux. Uh, I'm fascinated. So th- this particular one is called Java curry. Do yeah. they make a number of different curries? Yeah. So th- there's maybe like four that are the most popular. And then like in Japan, there are dozens and dozens of like different, like, you know, uh, this is this is like our limited edition curry. And like there's, there's become more of an interest in like real quote Indian curries. And there's been kind of overlap with like, you know, here's something that tastes a little more like what you might get in India, but is still in the format that you, that you, prefer okay i want to hear in a minute about how you chose this yeah. particular one but, but let's, like let's, let's keep walking our way through history so we're up to 1956 okay so we've got the bricks or blocks 1956 yeah so now it became like super simple to make at home and just have it come out good every time but it was still kind of thought of as like grown-up food mm. because it's spicy Mm-hmm. And so in uh, in 1963, House Foods, same company again, introduced Vermont Curry, which is either the first or second most popular brand now in Japan. And the the marketing of Vermont Curry was that it's a, a mild curry made with honey and apples, you know, <laughs> just like you might get in Vermont. Yep. Uh, and it was marketed toward parents with children like, you know, this is the curry that is mild enough for your kids to eat. And kids loved it and I w- still do. I, I wonder if this is the one that the little boy in Old Enough purchases because he purchases a sweet curry. I think he pro- has, I think probably yes. Has like a like a apple. Yeah, totally. Thing. Uh, well, so okay, I, I'll hold my question. Okay, and then one the moment, one but- more like like you know nowadays like a lot of curry is bought like in retortable pouches like with with like meat what, or vegetables. What's already a retortable had. pouch? I don't know what that word means. I just wanted to say it because I mean it is accurate. That what? is what it's called. It's like you know like a shelf stable like. Uh, like like a brick airtight b- bricks no, uh, no what's the packaging uh, st- uh <laughs> we've talked about this tetra pack yeah kind of kind of like tetra pack only more like a bag okay that like you know it used to be called boil in bag okay <laughs> uh, but like it's it's like a pre-made curry that you could just like open up like microwave and put on rice Oh, um, like the, is it kind of like the, um, it was like a Korean pouch that you served us for lunch one day recently. Yeah, it's like that Korean pouch that I served <laughs> us. <laughs> Sounds like a weird kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so that that kind of brings us to, to where we are today. Like curry is, is like super popular throughout Japan and is still like pretty much eaten like like I made today. Like with uh, usually with rice and it's, uh, it's like a thick, dark brown, uh, mildly spicy stew. I have to say there is something about the texture of it. It it is there's the shine of it and the gloopiness of it is different from a curry that I would have in an Indian Absolutely. restaurant or something. Yes. There is a gloop factor here. Yeah. And uh, curry is very associated with the Japanese Navy because they serve it every Friday on ships. And you can find lots and lots of recipes for like, this is the authentic curry served by the Japanese Navy. So like, I'm sure, I'm sure on TV in Japan, like you could turn on the TV almost any day and see like a documentary segment about like, you know, we went on a ship and ate curry with the sailors. <laughs> that sounds lovely. I know. 
And it's and it's like the one dish in Japan that everybody knows how to cook. I like that. Yeah. Is that do we have a dish like that in the U.S.? That's a good question. Like, I feel like the first dish I learned how to cook was scrambled eggs. But I like, was going to say scrambled yeah. eggs seem like the basic, but th- that is not in any way like inherently American. No, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, okay. Um, so, what makes this different from Indian curries? Yeah, I think it's the texture. It's the fact that it's there. You know, that it's even though there are different kinds, like there's kind of one dish that is thought of as like this is kind of Japanese curry that mm-hmm. everyone would recognize, which mm-hmm. is absolutely not true of curry in India. And that uh, I mean, the fact that it's not very spicy, I, I think, is is very characteristically Japanese. Like mm-hmm. I got this is the, the Java curry that I got is considered like house foods is spiciest curry. And I got the hot and like it was not very spicy. No, no. But very tasty. This, like the the slurry, the sauce itself is really smooth. Like it, it's yeah. very smooth, and and there's a certain viscosity to it. Yeah, um, it's, and it's that that proprietary starch blend that they yeah. use. It's, it's really satisfying. Because so here's how I made this. Okay, um, which is basically exactly the uh, the recipe on the package. Although I cooked the meat a little longer to make it to make sure it was tender. So you brown some onions in oil. You add your meat. And vegetables, if you're gonna, if they're going to cook it for the same amount of time at the meat, I held the vegetables back. Wait, and, hold on. What kind of meat did you use? Uh, I used just a package of like beef for stew that was on sale at Safeway. Great. Okay. Um, and uh, then uh, you put in water, and then you you stew it, and you're making kind of like the world's worst stew because it has no salt. It's just water, onions, and meat. And then, so, and then you take that, and then you throw it, I threw in potatoes and carrots a little later so they wouldn't overcook. Then once all the vegetables are, and meat and vegetables are, are cooked and tender, then you throw in the curry brick. And it transforms in over the course of about five minutes like at first you think like there's nothing happening and then like it starts to dissolve and the color starts to darken and then the starched granules you know blow up and it thickens and like becomes curry just like over the course of five minutes i'm fascinated by the absence of any seasoning in the cooking water yeah because uh, you know obviously this curry brick is massively flavorful right but like uh Should, should we try like shaving off a little no i don't want i don't want to you can do that later alone (laughs) oh i will um wow yeah i mean uh, of course you don't need to season it you're about to pummel it right with so much it does seem totally and like like, you know when usually when i'm making it usually i will like taste like a bite of meat to make sure that it's that it's like the tenderness that i'm looking for and tasting like a you know water water stew is is pretty gross yeah i was gonna say i i don't know if i'd be brave enough i think i would just kind of pull it out and poke it yeah. So um, you served this today uh, on white rice. Was it yeah. Calrose? Uh, Calrose rice. Okay. Uh, and I mean, technically, I think it was Koshi Hikari. Oh, God. <laughs> and I served it, I served it like uh, curry rice style, which usually the, you put the curry on one side and the rice on the other side. I did know. You can also have like I a kare don where the curry is on top, but like side by side is by far the most common. And then you took some sort of uh, kind of rust colored, like little pickly type thing out of a, a can. Yeah. I'm so glad put you it asked on about the that, rice. I forgot. I think I forgot to put it on the. Uh, no, I, I put it on the agenda. So this is called Fukujinzuke, which is like seven lucky gods pickle. Okay. And 
I don't know. Oh my God, it smells and so forgot good. to research like how did this become like the official pickle that you serve with Japanese curry, but it is. And it's it's a soy sauce pickle of of like root vegetables. Mm. Usually, usually like lotus root and daikon and uh, and flavored with with shiso and sesame. Usually, and you can make it a bunch it of different ways. It smells like ginger too. It smells like fresh ginger. I bet there's ginger in there. So I I went to the M two M, the Korean market that opened near my house, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, I don't know if they're going to have this. It's uh, like it's a Japanese ingredient, which they do have a lot of Japanese groceries there. But uh, like, I don't know if they'll have this specific pickle. Not only did they have it, they had it in in Western Japanese style or Eastern Japanese style. You are like so I mean, I've never seen you so happy about anything. I think the main difference is how much food coloring they use. And, okay. I, and I got the one with more food coloring. OK, so I, wait, I which, like how it looks. which one did you which one is this? It's, the, it's the Western style. OK, OK. It is pretty. Does that generally get put on the rice? You put it on the rice. Um, it can it can be either. Okay, and it's sweet. It's like or it can sweet, just be served on the side. It's sweet and tangy. Yeah, uh, but heavily sweet. I would say. Yeah, it's supposed to be just like a little flavor and, and especially textural counterpoint. I think. Okay. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So in addition to serving it the way that you served it, what are the other ways that one might encounter Japanese curry? Okay. There are three others that that uh, are really common. Uh, one is uh, curry udon, um, which uh, is exactly what it sounds like. You make, you make a curry, and instead of serving it over or alongside rice, you use it as a sauce for udon noodles. And Very s- tasty. And so you would just take like plain like boiled udon noodles and would you put them like side by side in a bowl with the curry yeah no just toss it together like a like a spaghetti sauce oh that sounds like it's very good i think that my family would like this yeah um i will probably do that tomorrow for lunch okay Excellent. Because um, we have plenty. Yeah, the thing about making Japanese curry, it's so easy to make. And, like, you know, they sell – when you when you buy a box of, of curry bricks, it's enough for kind of, like, nine servings. And so usually I'll just make the whole thing because it, uh, it keeps well in the fridge and it freezes. Mm-hmm. So okay. The other uh, ways of serving are um, karepan, which is a – this is a thing like I, I I think of it as like kind of uniquely Japanese. Like I don't I don't know. There probably is like a version of this that that originally is is related to something in India or China. But uh, it is kind of a a filled fried dough that is panko crusted and filled with a with a pretty thick curry so that it doesn't uh, like all leak out when you take a bite. Okay. And it's and it's kind of it's it's 
crispy on the outside, but like it's got a lot of chew to the bread part. Okay. It's really tasty. So it's like a it's fried like a donut. It's fried it's like, like a, like a, a donut. Fill, donut filled yeah, with curry. Yeah, I mean it curry. looks it, it's shaped like a jelly donut, or or it can be shaped like kind of kind of like uh, football shaped. Either way, okay. And it's filled with curry. Very good. Oh Kids my God. love these also. That sounds uh, fantastic. Yep. And then the other one is soup curry, which I have never had. And this is a dish associated with Sapporo in in Hokkaido in northern Japan. And you do see it at like specialty soup curry restaurants, other places, but it's not very common outside of its home turf. And it's like a curried vegetable soup with a large amount of fresh vegetables, which sounds delicious. I've just happened to never try it. Okay. And so does it ever get served with any... So, you know, we talked about these pickles. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it commonly get served with anything else on it or yeah. near it? Is it, a, is it like a side for anything else? What is it? It is common to have curry with toppings. So if you go to, to Coco Ichiban or another curry restaurant, you will have a choice of like what toppings would you like with your curry. And you can go like it's it's considered kind of like, uh, um, you know, everyone loves it, but like uh, college student food because you can quickly like build an enormous mountain of food that will not be super expensive. Okay. So like – you know, probably the most common dish at uh, at Kokuichi is is uh, katsu curry udon. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, ka- katsu curry rice. Um, first so, of all, I should say kare rice is how you say curry with rice. Okay. Like you don't use the Japanese word for rice. It's considered like a foreign dish. So you say rice. Okay. Um, and so, okay. So what you're describing here with katsu yeah. would have, so you'd have the rice, you'd have the curry on top, and then you'd have like a pork or chicken cutlet. Yes, exactly. Like fried. Cut- yeah. Okay. And, and usually kind of dropped on top, kind of like crossing the boundary between the curry and the rice. Okay. Um, But you could get like fried shrimp on top. There's like a, a like, crispy skin uh, sautéed chicken that they have at Coco Ichiban that December and I both really love. I can imagine that the, like, the saucy part of the curry would be delicious, at, like, saucing this yeah. fried meat. Yeah, it's it's really good. Okay. And curry rice is always eaten with a spoon, not chopsticks. Uh, be- uh-huh. I mean, for kind yeah. of obvious reasons, yeah, yeah. because you would get to a, quickly get to a point where it was not possible. Okay. Um, but, uh, like, and it's fun to eat with a spoon. Okay. I already I already kind of went through like my method for making curry. Like I like the the house foods Java curry because I just I feel like it's the most intensely flavored of the of like the four or five most common curry boxes that uh, that they sell at Awajamaya. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I always get the hot. Is there a Java mild? There's no Java mild, but there's Java medium. Okay. Is, I mean, I imagine Java medium is going to be quite pretty mild, mild I right? think. Yeah. But and then you get down to like, you know, the, the Vermont curry mild, like there will be absolutely no trace of capsaicin within a mile of the box. OK, so if I'm going to uh, feed my child mm-hmm. Japanese curry and, and knowing that my kid is like my kid can totally tolerate spice. Yeah. Yet they are in this phase of thinking that they can't so if they know that it's going to be they're, they're going to be get s and b medium to start okay s and b medium yeah okay and 
when people in Japan make curry at home, like which they they do like with with uh, curry from a box, probably ninety nine times out of a hundred, um, it is common to to doctor it um, to like put your own spin on it um, and you know feel like you're doing a little more home cooking in a couple of different ways. One is to mix different commercial boxes, like you know some people say like my my curry that I make at home is like you know fifty percent Java curry and fifty uh, percent Kokumado curry, and uh, <laughs> okay. like you know does this. Really really make a difference you know sh- sure i guess but like you know it's fun it's fun to mix things together yes um and the other thing people do is like you know put in like their secret ingredient and the secret ingredient like most commonly is either cheese okay. and like like a very like you know cheese. smooth like processed cheese or like mild cheddar type and it of would cheese just melt into- totally melts in or and oh. or chocolate I am f- okay. Yes. I'm really interested in the cheese. I'm fascinated. I think this could be great. Yeah, I mean, you can throw in like you know, people throw in like you know, like a craft single basically, or like some grated cheese. I have tried both of these additions like separately and together, and like neither one of them really does anything for me beyond just like the basic Java curry. But. I would encourage everyone to try it because it might totally be your thing. The Java curry, there is some, there's a sweetness to it. Yeah, there always is. Yeah, there's a sweetness that almost reminds me of, um, like when I make bulgogi uh, and I grate like Asian pear yes. or something into the marinade, like it's almost that kind of feeling. Yeah. It's like, um, like Asian pear or apple sweetness. Totally. Okay. And the the other thing I would say about making curry is like, one thing I like about it is that you put in a large amount of onions. Like it okay. always like like if you don't feel like you're putting in too many onions when you're starting, then probably you need to use more. Like I'll put in like a, a pound of onions to a pound of meat typically. And how much like how much do you want to cook the onions? You want to like cook them down a little bit and get a little bit of color on them before you before you put in the water. Okay, cool. But I mean, I think also everybody does it differently. And so like if you like less onion or like, you know, sweating your onion instead of instead of like getting some brown on them, like, you know, whatever. And so basically, if people, you know, want to just be able to easily make curry the way that you do, you get the Java curry hot or house foods, Java curry hot. Yeah. And then you follow the instructions on the box because the the box says like, oh, yeah, this volume of onion, right? Yeah. One thing I love about the the recipe on the box is it says five and two fifths cups, uh, 1300. Five and two fifths. Yeah. 1300 milliliters of water or uh, 1150 milliliters if cooking in a covered pot. Oh my god, I love this precision. Yes. They they really make sure like you cannot screw this up. Okay. Oh, I am here for it. Yeah, and S and B curry, like the the top brand, like is typically available in like your your local like North American non Japanese supermarket. And are any of these Golden Curry? Yeah, S and B Golden Curry. That's S&B the brand. S and B Golden name. Curry. Yep. Yes. Okay. I know I can find this in my Absolutely. Western supermarket. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and sometimes I make it in the instant pot. I did this one in the oven just because I had time and wanted to smell it while it, while it was cooking. But it cooks real quick in the instant pot. So wait, what part of it would you do? You you'd simmer like, all the stuff in the instant pot. Yeah, for I would. Yeah, like um, when I do it in the instant pot, like I'll do like the meat for like twenty minutes, then throw in the vegetables and do like five more minutes okay. with quick release, and then hit saute, throw in the curry brick, and and uh, dissolve okay. it. Okay, and it's done. Okay. Wow. Yeah. One one thing I was thinking about with curry is like when there's like a breakfast buffet at a, at a hotel in Japan, they'll often be like a big tureen full of curry. Very satisfying. <sighs> That sounds really good. Like maybe one of curry and one of miso soup. Yeah. Ah, oh, okay. Okay. 
This this was great. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, so I'm, go like if you if you uh, haven't had Japanese curry, curry or haven't made it at home or haven't had it in a while, like go out and make some. It's like the easiest thing, and it's always very satisfying. Uh, I think Ash is going to be thrilled when I say that I'm going to make Japanese curry. Excellent. Shall we move on to now? But wow. So, Matthew, uh, on the agenda here, I only wrote one now, but wow, but I actually have two. And I don't know if that's bad because, like, I'm using all my. All, You're blowing my, your now, but what? Yeah, I'm blowing my now, but what? Yeah. Okay. So, they're both podcasts that I listened to yesterday. Uh, I have to wait. I have to set the scene for you. Okay. Set so, the scene. So, yesterday afternoon, it was really You're, nice. You're on your chaise long. I mean, we're recording this episode uh, like six weeks ahead. So, it, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's late April here. And it's just starting to feel. Like when the sun is out, it feels really warm. Yeah, like I just put skin. rhubarb on the shopping list. Yes. Okay. Well, so yesterday afternoon, um, so we had plans to go eat uh, with some friends in their backyard. So I didn't have to like think about dinner. And it was like four o'clock and I was feeling sleepy, but like I hadn't really like done anything with my body all day. And I was like, I'm going to take a walk. And I went outside and I was like, no, I'm actually just going to get out like one of our camping chairs and sit in the sun in the oh, driveway. Oh, so when I said chaise long, I wasn't far off. Yes. So I took one of our like, you know, collapsible camping chairs uh-huh. and set it up in the driveway in, in, in the sun, which was waning by this point. I was wearing my like, my like puffer coat. Uh-huh. Someone, someone wrote a complaint <laughs> about you on next door. Yeah. Anyway, I put in my headphones and I listened to these two podcast right. episodes with the sun on my face. I think I even have a little bit of a sunburn today from it. I don't see it. Okay. Anyway. All right. So the first one that I want to mention is the podcast Partners, which is made by Rishikesh Herway, mm-hmm. who is also the the force behind Song Exploder. And the uh, the um Accept Cookies newsletter that I recommended a couple weeks yes, ago. Yes, yeah. and he did home cooking with uh, Samin Nosrat yeah. during the pandemic lockdown. Anyway, yeah, partners- is the kind of the kind of person who makes makes uh, us feel bad about ourselves for not doing yeah. more stuff. <laughs> Thanks a lot, dude. Anyway, so um, this podcast is, uh, you know, it's it's got that same wonderful production style as Song Exploder, mm-hmm. where like he comes on and he talks about why he's invited these guests, but then like he has this way of editing it so that he disappears right. and it's just the the person he's interviewing, like talking. Cool. So anyway, this podcast is called Partners. And it is always two people who are partners of any type, whether business partners, uh, romantic partners, whatever. Partners in crime. Partners in crime. He had Bonnie and Clyde. That was a great episode. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Ending um, kind of upsetting. Anyway. But so the episode that I listened to was uh, with Roxanne Gay and her wife, Debbie Millman. Okay. And of course, Debbie Millman, uh, you probably know from her own podcast, uh, Design Matters. Okay. She's a fantastic interviewer. You know, the two of them, they're married and they basically every every set of partners who come on the podcast talk about like how they met and like what their partnership is and what makes it work. Can we can we get invited on this podcast? I know, right? right? Anyway, I have to say this episode with Roxanne Gay and Debbie Millman is so like romantic. Okay. Just listening to the two of them talk and like how like hardcore Debbie like pursued Roxanne. 
And also just listening to them talk. Uh, anyway, it was okay. de- it's delightful. I'm in. So yeah, that's the the podcast partners uh, made by Rishikesh Herway, uh, and in particular the episode with Roxanne Gay and Debbie Millman. Okay. The other one I wanted to mention is an episode of Still Processing. Okay. Which is usually uh, with Wesley Morris and Jenna Wortham. Mm-hmm. But Jenna Wortham is taking the year off to work on a book. And so Wesley Morris is having like a guest on each time to chat with him. And this particular episode is about theme music for TV oh, shows. Oh, okay. And he's talking with Hanif Abdurraqib. Yeah. And so they're having like. As soon as you said theme music for TV shows, the Golden Girls theme jumped into my head. I love that that's what jumped into your head. Uh, so they they talk about, I just had never thought about theme music for TV shows the way they're talking about it. All right. And what prompted them to talk about it is, you know how when you're watching shows now, you can like click to skip the intro? Mm-hmm. And they were talking about whether like this is a good thing or not. I've thought about this too. So anyway, the episode is great. They talk about theme music from a lot of different shows, from um, Yellow Jackets to to the Jeffersons. So like a broad range okay. of time. Uh, spoiler alert, Wesley Morris cries. Okay. It's such a great conversation. And it just made me think about like the experience of TV and the, the way that it is created for us in a different way than I'd ever thought of it before. Okay, that that sounds definitely both of those both of those sound like my kind of thing. Yeah, so that's uh, that's an episode of Still Processing that is yeah it's probably it came out in March or April and it is going to say something about theme music or theme songs. In okay, the title. No, you know what I'm going to do later today? I'm going to get out my chaise long. I'm going to I'm going to put on the song Chaise Long by Wet Leg, <laughs> and then after that I'm going to I'm going to set it up in the driveway of our building. I'm going to start listening to those podcasts and then I'm going to get run over by a neighbor trying to go in, into the garage. Great. Okay. Okay. Perfect. It's well, going to be a big day. I'll come visit you in the hospital. I'll okay. bring you Japanese curry. Thank you. Way to bring it back around. So our producer is Abby Circatella. That's right. And you can rate and review us everywhere you get your podcasts. I know all podcasts say that and that's because it's actually important. Yeah. Do we know why it's important? No. no. But we do know that it's important to hang out with other people who listen to Spilled Milk. And you can do that at reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. Indeed. Well, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk, the show that's... The world's first retortable podcast. <laughs> You've been holding on to that one. I just thought it like like 10 seconds ago. Wow, okay. I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Amster-Burton. I did see, uh, I, I had to open up an issue and look at this article, uh, the headline of which was like 10 things to never ask your lover. Oh, okay. okay. Let's go. Should we go through all 10? Okay. So one of them was, have you ever felt this way before? That's the whole question? Like, yeah. Like, cause you're not supposed to want to know if your partner has ever like been in love before. Oh, okay. Or, you I know see. what I mean? Well, this is, this is like more uh, like deeper and more emotional than I, than I was going to give Playboy credit for. Um, another one of them was. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you do that? <laughs> no, another one was, did you come? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I feel like, what? Who doesn't ask yeah. that of their partner? I mean, that's, that. Uh, I, I guess I guess like this was this was like like proto like you know this the number seven will shock you like because you do this all the time but you shouldn't yes right 
But anyway, um, I do feel like probably in what the reason that I'm talking about this is I do think that probably in one of those 150 plus playboys, there is something is your about, soulmate. No, there's <laughs> something about how to like strengthen your penis. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. Of course. So that it can like withstand. <laughs> <torque>. <laughs> <laughs> You know? <laughs> I I'm gonna go on the record here and say like I don't I don't want mine to withstand torque. <laughs> wow. I mean, have you asked maybe this is something you should ask your spouse. This was not one of the ten questions you shouldn't ask. Like, like do you want do to you apply th- torque? Do you want to apply torque to my men? Because <laughs> torque is like or like a rotational thing, right? That's that's where yeah. that's what gives me pause. Okay. But I mean, I mean, like, of, of course, you do you. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, yeah, like the idea of torque, <laughs> like, you know, in like under the hood. Yeah, I want all the all the foot pounds of torque I can get. <laughs> but but under the under the covers, <laughs> you you want a a straight piston action? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we're talking about different parts of the engine. Okay. I can't believe you and I managed to do a vaguely car bit for more than just one joke. I know. Wow. I'm so Good proud job of us. Okay. okay well, Too bad the world will probably never hear that. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.